Good morning. It's a good day to be in the house. It's a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful week. You ever go outside and just thank the Lord for beautiful, beautiful weather? I was walking at the park the other day, and I just stopped in the middle of walking. Sun was setting, and I just said, God, could this just be every single day? I just love this. And he said, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're, uh, we're continuing our, our series. Actually, we're beginning a new series today uh, called uh, Make Room. And, uh, but before we do that, a couple of things. Uh, next week, we are springing forward. It is the time. And uh, if, you, uh, if you forget to do that, no fear. We have a 6 p.m. gathering on Sunday nights, and you can catch that if you're late on Sunday morning and, and do that. Uh, speaking of our evening gathering, tonight we have a baby dedication, and so if you want to come and be a part, uh, be a part of that and uh, also come back and worship with us, we invite you to do that. Uh, you should bring a friend as well. And then speaking of babies, uh, Scotty and Ashley had their baby this week. This is Colton Wilburn, and uh, pray, for, pray for Colton. Uh, we, uh, he is in the NICU right now, and, uh, and we're just really trusting the Lord. I believe everything's going to be just fine, and love on Scotty. And are you guys, I know you're here. I saw you. Back, back, back. There you are, back there. Love on them this morning. Um, uh, I, we just so love you guys. I'm glad that you're a part of our, our body here. And uh, Ashley, you're a trooper for being here this morning, too, after having a baby this week. <clears throat> so as I stated before, we are in a new series uh, called Make Room, Make Room, and uh, I do want to encourage you, if you have not started, uh, to participate in the Lent season with us. You know, uh, you may have uh, maybe missed the start date, or maybe you decided to fast something or give something up and you already messed it up. Uh, I want you to know that this is not about rules, it's about heart, and, uh, and so uh, you can jump on the train now. If you, if you haven't, or maybe you've messed up already, or whatever it is, it's about having a healthy heart posture. It's about being intentional about making room for him as we lead into this, uh, this Easter season. Uh, the staff and I have been doing video uh, devotionals that have been posting to our social media, but as I told the, uh, the group on Thursday night at our Me Week gathering, some of you have given up social media. And so that's where we were posting the videos. And so we have now moved them to the website as well. And so you can catch those on the website. If you need the link, come and see me after, uh, after the service today. Uh, I'll make sure that you, you have that. Uh, today, as we, start this, uh, as we start this series, we're going to go into the thick portion of the book. You know, I'm talking about the Old Testament. How many know uh, all of Scripture is God-breathed? All scripture, all scripture uh, can be used uh, uh, for, our, for our growth and to, to instruct us in our, in our lives. And so we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go to Second Chronicles today. But before we do, I want to do a little bit of a, a setup here to help us as we, as we read. We're not going to read the entire chapters. I've uh, cut, cut portions out that we're going to read, but I want to I do some uh, legwork here first. We're going to be talking about two kings today. The first king we're going to talk about is, uh, or we're going to read about rather, is King Ahaz. King is the, uh, Ahaz is the king of Judah, uh, and he did not follow the Lord. He did not follow the Lord. He desecrated and closed the Lord's temple, okay? So the second king we're going to talk about is actually his son, Hezekiah. Uh, he's, he's the son of Ahaz, king of Judah. He followed the Lord, 
and he cleaned out and reopened the Lord's temple, okay? So we got those two, we got that straight, okay? And then I wanna uh, also talk quickly about this. Uh, when we read the scripture and we talk about the temple of the Lord, we are referring to the house of the Lord or the place where people would have to bring uh, their sacrifice for their sin. This would be a place where they would, they, they would go to worship. The, sacred, uh, the temple was very sacred. Uh, it was a very important place. And so when Ahaz took the temple and he closed the doors, that was a big deal, okay? So when we talk about the temple of the Lord, that's what we're talking about. And then this word consecrated, which interesting, we sang a song and it had it uh, in there. Have you ever been singing a song, you're singing a word, you have no idea what you're singing, you just sing the word by faith, yeah, you can admit that, right? But we're going to read this word consecrated, and uh, consecrated means to make or declare something as sacred or to set it apart. So when you see that word, that's what you're saying. Would you stand with me? We're going to read some uh, portions of Second Chronicles together this morning. Let's read. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He burned sacrifice in the valley of Ben-Hinnon and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places, on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Aram. He was also given into the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. The Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. The king of Assyria came to him, but he gave him trouble instead of help. Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the officials and presented them to the king of Assyria, but that did not help him. In his time of trouble, Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them in pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. In every town in Judah, he built high places to burn sacrifices to the other gods and aroused the anger of the Lord the God of his ancestors. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought the priests and the Levites assembled them in the square on the east side and said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord and our God forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place 
and turn their backs on him. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. When they had assembled their fellow Levites and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord as the king had ordered. Following the word of the Lord, the priest went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it out to the Kidron Valley. They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month, and by the eighth day of the month, they reached the portico of the Lord. For eight more days, they consecrated the temple of the Lord itself, finishing on the 16th day of the first month. Then they went to King Hezekiah and reported, we have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the table for the consecrated bread with all its articles. We have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They are now in front of the Lord's altar. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshiped. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings life. I thank you that it's rich. I thank you that it can penetrate our hearts and that you can use it to speak to us today. I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a work in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a lot of scripture. Over the last several weeks, we've read one or two scriptures, and so we made up for that this morning. We're in this series, uh, Make Room, and we have been talking about capacity. And a lot of the, what we've been discussing over the last six weeks with regard to capacity has everything to do with our schedules and the control that we have over our lives. It has everything to do with our surrendering posture to the Lord to say, Lord, we want you to take over our lives and we want you to be in charge of what we do and what we don't do. And many of you have begun the journey of really, excuse me, really surrendering to the Lord. And I've really enjoyed hearing some of the testimony that has been a part uh, of that. As we go into the series Make Room, we're not gonna necessarily be talking about the external things that dictate our schedule. We're gonna be talking about the things on the inside that stop us from having the capacity and the ability to make room for the Lord. Does anybody have a junk drawer at their house? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your, um, your, uh, your house could be absolutely spotless, but there's this, this drawer, right? And this is the like catch-all drawer in your house. It's the, it's the place where, you know, when you're saying to your wife, hey, I need a battery, and she says, go look in the drawer, you go and you rummage through the drawer, and every size battery is in there except for the one you need, Right? It's the place where you're saying, I need a writing utensil, and you go into the drawer, and you rummage around, and you celebrate that you found a writing utensil, and you go down to write, and the pen is out of ink. 
But instead of standing up and walking those five steps over to the trash can, you take that pen and you throw it right back into the drunk drawer so that there can be an encore performance of your frustration two weeks later. The junk drawer in the house, every house that I've lived in my, in my life has had a junk drawer. It's a drawer that is a, a catch-all. There's some weird attachment that we have to the junk in the junk drawer, is there not? Because if I told you today I want you to go home and I want you to take that drawer and I want you to jump, uh, dump it out into the trash, some of you would lose your mind. But I am partial to this piece of lint that's in here. I might need that someday. Or this loose button might go to, on a jacket that I buy in the future. There's been some discoveries in the drunk drawer, has there not been? I, I, there's times when I need a nail and I'll go in the back and there's the perfect nail that I need. You know, sometimes there's gold in that, in that junk drawer. And so we're afraid to let anything go because we might need what's, what's in there. Well, truth be told, a lot of times, this is the condition of our heart. We hold on to things that are useless, that need to be addressed and thrown away. And instead, we close it up and we lock it up and we just shove it in. And every now and then, we'll open it up trying to find something. But then we'll find that it's broken and we'll put it back in and we'll shut it down. Everything else, though, is great, right? All the smiles, all the external things we show people, all of that. But in a lot of our lives, we have this, this drunk drawer. And I believe, I believe that God wants us to make room for him by addressing some of the things in our lives that we maybe haven't looked at or evaluated in a long time. In our reading today, we looked at King Ahaz and we looked at his choice to desecrate the temple of God. We looked at his choice to allow himself to get to a place where he felt like he did not need the Lord in his life. And so he closes the doors. And if you read uh, in length the, the, the rest of uh, the, the chapter, you'll see that he's doing everything he can to gain the other nation's favor, except for calling on the Lord. He's using all of these, all of these tools and he doesn't succeed. In fact, he fails miserably. His father, Jotham, and his, and his father, Uzziah, they were following the Lord. He has a lineage of his, his parents following the Lord, but something went wrong in Ahaz's life where he took a turn and he decided not to follow, follow the Lord. I don't know if you resonate with that. I don't know if you resonate with having parents who were faithful and followed the Lord, but somewhere in your life, something went awry and you took a left turn. And maybe that's a part of your story. Everyone in this room has a story. Everyone in this room has a story about God's redemption in, in your lives. Well, what I want to start today and what I want us to understand is God is not interested in sharing the throne room of your heart. God is not interested in sharing the throne room of your heart. When we discuss and we talk about the temple that we were talking about in scripture, that was a physical, a physical place that was man-made and that was part of the old covenant. But the new covenant temple is actually inside you. It's your heart. It's your, it, you carry, you possess the temple with inside you. And what's going on in the temple is extremely important, just as, if it was, just as important as it was in the temple that we're talking about in the scripture. 
But sometimes we need to evaluate things on the outside in the way that they were done in the old covenant to understand new covenant principles. And so I, d- I want to go there today, um, and I want to do it in, in a way to help us to um, navigate this, this making room. I'm going to get a little raw with you guys, raw this morning uh, with you with regard to my story. And I want you to know, I've, I, my mom is also here today. I've talked to her. She knows that I'm going to be sharing this morning. And um, I want to share because I believe that God wants us to go into those deep places. You remember a few weeks ago in the capacity series, I said, I believe that he wants us to create capacity because he wants us to go deeper. Well, I believe that part of that going deeper is where we are today. It's where we are right now, is that we would be willing to open up some drawers and unlock some cabinets that we haven't addressed in a while. And I believe that God wants to really do that work uh, today here, um, today here with this message. And so today, what I want you to understand is that Hezekiah had a choice to make. Ahaz, though he was a king, he was also a dad. He was also a father. And I believe that even though Ahaz made the wrong choices, it was very clearly evident in his life that he made the wrong choices and he paid the consequence for those choices. I do not believe that parents sign up for the task of parenting and say, I hope I fail. Normally, when you sign up to do something, you're out to succeed. And I believe that even in Ahaz's kingship, he was out to do the right thing. He was making the wrong choices, but in his mind, he was doing everything like he thought he should. And he was doing it with as much confidence and zeal as he absolutely could. And so he has this son, Hezekiah, and the Bible tells us that Hezekiah becomes king at age 25. So it meant for 25 years of Hezekiah's life, he's looking at his dad and he's seeing his dad make these mistakes boldly. Now, I don't know what kind of dad Ahaz was, but it did tell us that he sacrificed his son, so he probably did not get the dad of the year award that year. But nevertheless, he was a dad. He was a father, and he was a king, and he was making these choices. And Hezekiah grows up in this household with Ahaz, and we don't learn a whole lot about their relationship. The Bible doesn't disclose that, but I have to wonder that Hezekiah was looking back and saying, Dad, what are you doing Do you not see what God is doing because of your decisions? In the first month of Hezekiah's reign, he makes a decision to undo everything that his father did. In the first month of Hezekiah's reign, he decides to go into the temple and clean the thing out because he believed that in order to really receive the favor of God, he needed to clean some things out. Now, he could have succumbed to the pressure or the example that his father was setting. He could have continued to walk in those shoes. He could have continued to, uh, to do the things that Ahaz did. And, and I believe if he would have done that, I believe that God would have not shown himself faithful to Hezekiah. But Hezekiah made a different choice. Can I submit to you this morning that you are not the sum of your parents' mistakes? You are not the sum of your mistakes. That is not the only indicator of who you are. In third grade, my parents divorced. In third grade, my parents divorced. And I remember as clear as day, my mom and dad sitting us down and telling my brother and I that they were no longer going to be living together. I remember 
sitting there on that couch and remember in my, as much as I could understand in my undeveloped third grade mind that my parents were not going to be in the same house and daddy was going to be up the road and I could go visit anytime that I wanted to. And I remember having to walk down that journey and I remember my mom getting an apartment and getting a low paying factory job just so that she could supply for my brother and for me. And I remember traveling down that road and because of her hard work ethic and my mom having to supply for us, sometimes we were left with a babysitter or sometimes we were left at home. And when I would be at home, it would, it would be not too soon after that that I would become a, a victim of sexual abuse. And I remember going through my life as a child, wondering who I was and, and what I did wrong that I couldn't have what everybody else seemed to have. I was buying into the lie that my world was the only world and every other world was perfect around me. And so I had an identity issue. I was, I was struggling with my identity. I was struggling with who I was. I was trying to fit in to what everybody else told me, whoever they told me they, uh, I was, that's who I would be at that moment. And then my dad would decide that he was gonna move away. And he moved out of, out of state because he just couldn't stand my mother at the time. And so he moved out of state. But of course, part of that consequence of moving out of state was that he was abandoning us as well. And so now the dad that was supposed to be down the street was no longer there. And I remember just thinking, why can I not spend time with my dad? Why would my dad leave me? And in the small moments that I would be with my dad or we would talk on the phone, it would be filled with his needing to make sure I understood that it was not his fault for what was going on. It was rarely conversations about how proud or how much he loved me or what he was speaking into my life. And again, I'm not, this is not to uncover or dishonor my, either one of my mom or dad. And I'm going to explain that in just a little bit here. And, and all of us are on really uh, on good terms right now in my life because of God's redeeming work. But I want you to understand that I really went through some, some trialing times. My mom would move us into a house with her then boyfriend and I would become the target of verbal abuse from that boyfriend. And then I would get to sit back and watch him verbally and physically abuse my mom. And what my mom would say is, I'm in this relationship and I'm here because I'm here trying to take care of you two boys. I remember moving out of that house. And I remember her moving us into her now husband, who is just a wonderful man, a God-fearing man who she's with right now and been married to for a very long time. And I remember not giving David the chance to penetrate my heart and have any part of my life because I had walls that were built so high and so tough and so thick because I didn't trust the men that God, I didn't know God was placing in my life, but the men who were in my life, I didn't trust them. And so I lost ground on a really wonderful relationship I could have had with a wonderful godly man because of all of the things that I had to step through and all the walls that I put up in my life. And I remember, I've told this story before, but I remember the moment I played rec league bas basketball and David actually coached it and we had won the championship. And I remember pulling into a Smyrna pizza place here and we pulled in 
And I remember get, uh, getting there and pulling into the parking lot and he got out of the car quickly because he was the coach and he had to get in there. And we just won the championship. And I looked at all of these boys walking in with their dads, high-fiving and dads just so proud. And I remember just breaking in that moment, just saying, God, why can't I have that? What, what is wrong with me that I can't have my dad here to celebrate like all of these other guys? And I didn't recognize it at the moment, but now I recognize that the Holy Spirit of God was very present in that moment because that was a very pivotal place in my life where I could have gained bitterness, rage, and anger and put that in my junk drawer. But instead, he fueled me and supernaturally gave me the ability in that moment in that car to forgive my dad. And I remember in that moment releasing it and saying, I forgive him, God, I forgive him. And I remember walking in there to have pizza that day with the winning team and I was so much lighter because I had made the decision to forgive my dad. And it was certainly a process over time, but God in that moment, he met me because of his faithfulness. He met me in that moment and he started me down a trajectory of my life where I was enabled to make decisions that would honor him and not put away the rage and the anger, the bitterness and close it in and operate from that place. Now, I tell you, I could go on and there are so many things about my life that are abuse stories, all of these different things that I could uncover to you, but I want you to understand that none of that is my testimony. My testimony is that the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ has covered my life, and here I am standing whole and not broken because of this God who loves the universe and breathes stars. And so when I share with people about my life, I don't dig into those wells because those, while those are help, what help shape who I am, those are not the places of where the power of God met me in my life. Those are the places that God has redeemed. And who I am is who I am today. Now I'm gonna tell you something, guys. I, I had some, all of you have a story. Every one of you have a story. And I have places in my life that were hurtful, that were painful. But I wanna tell you right now, I would not trade in one thing that happened in my life. Because if I traded in one thing that happened, then I would not be able to share the testimony of what Jesus Christ did in my life. I would not, I do not regret anything. And let me tell you the first place that the first part of change that came in my life that changed everything was forgiveness because forgiveness is the pathway to healing and freedom. Forgiveness is the pathway to healing and to freedom. And so I believe that some of us in this room may have some things buried in the junk drawer of our lives that need to be unearthed based on how we were raised, based on parents that were in our life. I want you to know that your parents were broken vessels. I want you to know that the same savior that you needed for your life, your parents also needed. I want you to understand that your parents, regardless of you, how you perceive it or not, were doing the best that they knew how to do. They were doing the best that they could. They were doing the best that they could. What we tend to do as children, as we assign a barometer of what's best to them and we expect them to live up to it. But I believe that parents operate from a place where they feel like they're doing the best that they can. And then we as children sit in the judgment seat, but we have to understand that every single one of us in this room need the same blood of Jesus Christ to wash over our life. We need the same redemption, the same redeeming power in our lives. And our parents need that too.
But let me tell you how good God is. God always fills in the holes. He always fills in the gaps. Because while my mom could be walking around right now in shame, she could be walking around saying, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I wish I could have provided. I wish I could have done this. Don't you know that she celebrates today that Jesus Christ met me where I was and filled in all the holes for him. God has this supernatural way of filling in the gaps that you did not fill in. If you're a parent in this place and you are walking in a place where you feel like you have not done the right thing or you have made bad choices or you're wondering why your kids seem to be AWOL and out there. I want to encourage you this morning that the Holy Spirit of God hears you. And I want you to encourage you that you can trust this God with your kids. You can trust this God with their lives. You can trust them. All of you are not the sum of the mistakes that you have made. God is so faithful and he's so powerful. Let me tell you something. In my life right now, I've got four beautiful daughters. And I'm going to tell you right now, not a day goes by in my life that I don't pray for these girls. I don't pray for them to be smarter. I don't pray, pray for them to be big athletic stars or to, to be big musicians or anything like that. I pray for my daughters that they would have an authentic, genuine relationship with the Lord. But I want you to know that I'm going to fail miserably. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to totally, I'm not going to, I'm going to speak, th I'm not going to speak things that I should have spoken. I'm not going to be there at times that I should have been there. There has to come a point in my life where I understand that I'm not their savior. God has only given them to me for a season to steward and to, to hopefully point them to him. But I have to release them and allow God to do his transformative redeeming work in their lives, just like he did in mine. And so I want to encourage you this morning that if you're holding on to anything with regard to your parents or how you're parenting and you have shoved it away in a drawer, I, I, want to, I want to encourage you this morning to begin to get to a place where you can unearth this. You can unearth these things. When Hezekiah made the choice to clean out the temple, he made that choice independently from his parents. He lived under Ahaz's rule, under his fathership. And there came a point when Hezekiah had to make a decision for himself. And he said, I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to clean out everything that my dad did. And I'm going to remove those things and I'm going to place them and we're going to place them on the altar. And it says that once all of that was cleaned out, then the temple was ready for worship. Some of you have not truly engaged in a life posture of worship because you are holding on to things that you need to let go, and God's not going to share the throne room. The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit will meet you right where you are. He will give you the power that you need to clean out what you need to clean out. Maybe you're sitting here and your parent has already gone to be with the Lord and you're thinking to yourself, I wish I would have said. I wish I would have done. I believe the Holy Spirit of God would say to you today, he says, say those things to me. There is freedom here today. There's freedom here today. Now, I don't know, maybe this message was just for me this week, but I'm gonna tell you, if we're gonna go down this road of making room, we're gonna have to go into the deep places and God wants to heal some things in some people's lives, I believe, this morning. We look at Hezekiah's life, and over in 
in the book of Kings, 2 Kings, this is what it says. Hezekiah trusted the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. No greater king because he chose the Lord. You have the ability and the freedom to choose the Lord, despite your circumstances, despite what you've walked through, despite that hurt and that pain, the supernatural God, I believe, wants to reach into your heart and he wants to help you clean out some things so that you can make space for him. He is so faithful and he is so good. I love that he fills in all the gaps. I can't tell you what it was like when Ronnie Meek met me on the side of the road and he taught me how to change a tire for the first time. God never misses a beat. And I don't relate very well because I didn't really grow up uh, understanding or enjoying sports. But you know that moment whenever like the touchdown has been scored or you're just in the moment of passion and it's just a chest bump moment or a high five moment. I remember the very first time that I changed a tire from by my, all by myself. I was on the side of the road and nobody was there. I wanted to high five somebody so bad. I wanted to chest bump so bad. But God always fills in the gaps. He always provides. He always fills in the holes and you can trust him. So parents, I wanna encourage you, keep following the Lord and doing the best that you can with your kids, but trust him, he's got them. And if you're a child that's holding on to any anguish or, or fear or bitterness or rage or anything from your parents, I believe the invitation today is to allow the supernatural power of God to come in and give you the strength to walk in forgiveness. You know, forgiveness is not just for them, forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness is for you. And if you will allow your heart to be moldable enough for the Holy Spirit to come in and do this work, I believe you will start to see supernatural things unlock in your life that you've never seen before. If you'll just not throw the pen back in the ink drawer or back in the junk drawer, but instead take care of business, allow the Lord to pull these things out of you. Would you stand with me this morning? Would the elders come forward? I believe that there are some Hezekiahs in this place. And I believe that there are some people that really want to clean out the temple of, of the Lord. And, and maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I don't even know how to begin. Well, let me tell you how to begin. Just step out today and meet with one of these brothers and make a choice that says, I will forgive. You know, forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice. It's an active choice. Maybe you're carrying, you're somebody that's carrying that pain I was talking about from a hurt or bruised relationship. Come this morning and ask God to heal you this morning from that pain. Let's let the Lord do some heart surgery today so that as we approach him in this season, we can make room for everything that he has to say to us. Let's worship and you come this morning.